Hey, Billy, why don't we tell them what we're about, man? So we're here to welcome you to the Madhouse Chronicles. It's a talk show with myself, Billy Morrison. And me, and This man, Prince of Darkness. And we watch and react to the maddest internet clips. What do we discuss, Ozzy? Drugs, rock and roll, aliens, all that kind of shit. Drugs, rock and roll, aliens, and all that kinds of shit. Come and join Ozzy and myself. Visit OsborneMediaHouse.com to get special access to... Come to, on! What do you say? Do you think it's the wildest show on the internet? Oh. <laughs> Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles True Crime Podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man that's sad because he can't cook his alligator in a crock pot. It's Dale. Moving <laughs> for a crocodiles, I reckon. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you're, you're full of crocodiles. Yeah, they just won't. You just can't cook an alligator in a crock pot. Can't get them in there, man. Mm-mm. What's going on, dude? <laughs> oh, just another day. Just another day recording? Yeah, ready, yeah. ready to get her going, and uh, I think it's going to be a good one today. Yeah, and like last episode, we were recording a day late. Yes, we are. We had a round of storms and tornado warnings last night so we just uh put it, was, it off and it was a little spooky wasn't it it was a little ominous whatever oh, ominous means yeah all in big words yeah ominous and <laughs> yeah and anyway nothing uh major happened a lot of rain a lot of wind yeah i don't think anything got destructed too much but they phone was going off everything was blasting i'm telling you every two seconds yeah <laughs> it's like damn yeah scary really yeah and the old uh, the old backwards warning system I yeah. think it's backwards. Here's a warning. Okay. What does that mean? It means there are one. Oh, I thought a watch means there is one. You better watch for it. Nope. The watch means it might be one. Yeah. Okay. Warning means there is one. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you just tell me there is one? Yeah. <laughs> Instead of being confused. Just say, tornado on the way. Yeah. <laughs> Grab your hat and run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tornadoes are favorable. That's what they need to change it to. Yeah. They're not favorable to me. I don't favor them. No, I don't favor them at all. No, they're mean. Right, Tornadoes Dale. suck. All right, Dale. <laughs> We're going to not do the shout-outs this week. We want everyone to remember the school shooting that happened in Uvalde, Texas. Keep those family and everybody there, down there in Texas in your thoughts and prayers, man. Yeah. Rob Elementary School. Yeah, it's just uh, some some bad stuff, man. Yeah. It's just something I, I, I can't even comprehend. I mean, no. I listen to it. I see it on TV, but I just cannot... I can't get past it, man. No, just, no I was can't. talking to my daughter about it yesterday, and uh, she was like, I just don't understand what's going on. And I was like, well, you know, whatever side of fence you are on on any of those issues, I said, you know, nothing really, you know, whether it was a bullying issue or this or that or whatever, whatever the reason the guy had in his head was, nothing, those kids didn't do anything. No. There's no, even you know, you know, and I knew a lot of sleep, you know, well, he was a bully, he was this, he was that. And I, I don't know because I really hadn't uh, delved in it too, too much. But like I told her, I said, those kids didn't do anything to that guy. And there's no reason you get up and if you're mad at somebody, you go somewhere and kill a bunch of small children. It it's, it's just blows my mind. Yeah. I really hate it. And uh, I can't imagine what those parents are going through. I hate it for the all the families involved. Right. I just uh, something I'd never I'd never want to experience. No. But keep everybody keep them in your thoughts and prayers and be thinking about them. And, right. All right, dude. We're gonna get into our episode. We're just gonna jump into it and and see how this goes. Let's go. But before we do it, uh, I'm just gonna tell you with this episode, we're not clowning around. Man. Nope. 
I not, like clowning around. No, we're not going to clown around with this one. <laughs> okay. But with, <laughs> with this episode, we are talking about Marlene Warren. Marlene Warren. Yes. And just a little bit of background on Marlene Warren. She was born Marlene May McKinnon. Triple M. Yeah. On April 15th, 1950 in Mount Clemens, Michigan. And Marlene, she was from the Michigan area around Detroit and stuff. And it's all been described as her being a happy girl, spending a lot of her youth with her grandparents on their farm. It was just north of Detroit. And she was the middle sister of two other sisters she had. Uh, their names were Debbie and Leanne. They didn't get to Triple M. No. Hmm. But she was the middle child. Now, Marlene's family, they moved around quite a bit and spending several years in California before returning to Michigan. And Marlene was an exceptionally young when she married her husband, John. I would say so. Um, <laughs> a guy named John Aarons. And she was about 15 years old. Yeah. But she married John Aarons and became a mom. Right. And she gave birth to her first son when she was just 15 years old. I'd say that's why they got married. Yeah. And by the time she was 18, she was a mother of two boys. That's a lot on your plate, man. Yeah, especially for such young young folks. Yep. But Marlene and John just had their two sons. Right. John Jr. and Joseph. And they were just toddlers when tragedy struck. Mm. John was involved in a car crash in Texas. And he didn't make it. Yeah, I think he was down on a business trip and uh, got into a pretty bad wreck. Yeah. And Marlene was 20 years old and widowed. Single and, mother and had two kids. Man. Talk about stacking it up. Yeah. But Marlene, she didn't wait too long to start over. Just within a few years, she had met a man named Michael Warren. And they were married in 1972. When Marlene was 22 and Michael was 19, hmm. just a little bit younger than her, she was. Yeah, and think about him coming in in, in the 70s, early 70s, and taking her and two kids on. Yeah. You know, there's probably not, there wasn't a big line for that, I'd say. Yeah. But now the Warrens, they lived for just a short time in uh, Michael's hometown of Mount Clemens, Michigan. It was, like I said, it was a suburb of Detroit. Right. And they decided to relocate to Florida to raise the boys. So they bought a home in Palm Beach County, and they lived in it for a while and sold it for a profit, made a little bit of money on it, and did the same to their next home and the next. So they were just, I guess, just... They were flipping houses, yeah. They'd go into it and live there long enough to where they, they could uh, sell it and make some cash, which is pretty smart. That is smart. If you got the time, why not? Mm -hmm. But they also started buying land and building rental properties. And uh, eventually amassing 17 throughout the county, 17 rental properties. That's a lot. Yeah, so they were, they were doing pretty well for themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, Marlene managed and maintained all the rental properties while Michael built up a business of selling and renting used cars. Right. So they were just uh, in all kinds of businesses going on. He just kept reinvesting in, in themselves, huh? Yep. Yep. Now, by the late 1980s, the Warrens' businesses were starting to pay off, Dale. They bought an acre of land in a new exclusive community in Wellington, Florida. Mm. And Is it this was, established by Beef Wellington? No, it's yeah. Wellington. Okay. Yeah, you've been talking about Beef Wellington ever since we started 
researching this case. I think the dude's name was Oliver or something who yeah. actually established his yeah. community. But. He's the brother of Beef Wellington. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> this uh, community in Wellington was called the Arrow Club. How cool is this? Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. And they built a 6,500-square-foot home they there. They weren't playing either. And they weren't messing around. <laughs> Even though now, nowadays, uh, that house is probably not that big. Yeah. In the same community. But, but now, then, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, to me, now it's pretty damn awesome. Yeah. I mean, the homes are spacious. Most of them got circular driveways, swimming pools, and very meticulous landscaping. Mm-hmm. Now, the Aero Club, Dale, it gets its name... From a very unique feature there. What is that? It has a private airstrip for its residences. I know, man. That's, yep. that's what I need so I can just get in my plane and, you know, just drive out the back drive and hit the runway and go. Now, get this. It has taxiways that lead to each home around it. So yeah. they got they got their own private airstrip, man. Yeah, well, you know, you got to run Walmart just jump in the plane and go. And the Warrens, they, li- <laughs> the Warrens, they lived on one of them. Right. And it was called Takeoff Place. Takeoff Place. And the lot had plenty of space to park Michael's airplane. I tell you what, you know you're doing pretty damn well when you have to drive your airplane to work. Yeah. Yeah. Wherever you go with it. That's right. But now, Michael's used car business was doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. And despite some legal problems in the early 1980s, much larger issues would come years later. Yeah, he was a little shady. Yeah. We're going to talk about that, too. Uh Uh-huh. Now, in the spring of 1983, Michael had been caught rolling back odometers. Just like Ferris Bueller. Yep. Prop it up on blocks and put it in reverse. Run them backwards. Yeah. But he got caught doing this on two cars he had sold when a customer turned him in to the authorities. And Michael was charged with a third-degree felony. Hmm. And he pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 18 months of probation. Right. So he got off light. Yeah. Yeah. But by 1990, business was strong enough for Michael to open a bigger lot called Bargain Motors. And it was along the busy highway of North Dixie Highway in West Palm Beach. So they were doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. Now, he employed there a crew of mechanics, salespeople, car detailers, office workers, and repo men who went after customers who didn't pay. Yeah. So I guess what they did, these... uh, it's a buy here, buy here, pay here. And they had a, a lot. Probably had a high interest rate, and it was probably a weekly, probably paid by the week, and it was pretty pretty high. And then you probably they probably have a missed two payments when we come and get it kind of deal. Yeah, so that's why they hired uh, repo people. Yeah, it'd be a high rates, buy here, pay here, and it'd be for folks who couldn't get credit or at other places. You know, here mm-hmm. they would definitely sell you a car, but just so you know, if you don't pay for it, we coming to get it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, one day, one of his occasional repo men showed up at Bargain Motors in a tow truck. And he was known by the name of Spud, and he was a longtime friend of Michael's. Right. Oh, Spud. Yeah. And on this visit, he brought his wife along. Okay. And she jumped out of the truck and owned the lot and into Michael's life. And her name was Sheila King. Sheila King. Yep. Now, just a little bit on Sheila King. She was a pretty striking brunette. Mm Mm-hmm. With the uh, long glossy hair, mm-hmm. she had that long, like parted in the middle hair. Crystal Gale hair, just not quite as long. Yeah, and she was described as headstrong, gun-toting, and independent twenty-six-year-old. Gun-toting. Yeah, <laughs> with a game for anything, uh, reputation and mischief in her big brown eyes. I mean, she was had some striking big brown eyes that we're gonna talk about. Right. 
and Sheila spent more and more time on Michael's lot, and she was soon repossessing cars of her own, and she was described as fearless and tough as nails. I guess so. And she had no problems of jumping into a flatbed truck and going and picking up a car in, a, in the roughest neighborhood. I don't know if I want to do that. No. <laughs> Check somebody's car. The more time she spent on Michael's lot, the more responsibilities and duties she had. And she was pretty much running the place. So she just kind of slid in and took over, basically, yeah. what's going on here. But Sheila's attention of it all went toward one person. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was Michael Warren. Yeah, she's hot for the boss. Yeah. And Michael clearly had feelings for Sheila, too. And she was had a stark contrast to Michael's wife. Yeah. You know, Marlene, she was blonde-headed, blue-eyed. And we're going to show pictures of her, but she was kind of, you know, wasn't as striking as uh, Sheila. Well, I don't know. Depending on the pictures, I yeah. guess. <laughs> now, Michael's relationship with Sheila was evolving into an affair, as everybody has described. We're going to move ahead to a Saturday morning of Memorial Day weekend in 1990. Okay. 40-year-old Marlene Warren was at home on her property in Wellington, Florida. He's going to say she just sprawled out with him. Yeah. Now, Marley's 21-year-old son, Joey Aarons, was home. And they were finishing up breakfast with his friends. He had several friends over that day because he'd, he'd been in a wreck, and he had had a broken foot. Mm-hmm. Now, this was just before 11 a.m. when a white Chrysler LeBaron convertible pulled up into the driveway. And the driver stepped out, walked to the front door, and knocked. Now, Marlene answered the door, still dressed in her pink nightgown. And Joey and his friends, they were sort of standing off the side. And he, he heard her exclaim. I've heard it different ways, Dale. Yeah. Some people said it was, um, how nice, how pretty, how sweet. Right. But it was something to that effect. Yeah. But, but it was a, the person at the door was a clown in full costume, including an orange curly wig, white painted face, and a red nose. Right. And Except they had on camouflage. Yeah. Which is odd. And high top shoes. Yeah. But this clown was holding a delivery of balloons and flowers. Right. It was uh two of those uh like Mylar. It's Mylar the the metal looking ones. Yeah. And you know, and one of them was a heart shaped and said you're the greatest and the other one had, had uh some kind of print from uh Snow White and, and Seven Dwarves on it. Yeah. Yeah. And some flowers. Yeah, the the flower arrangement was carnations, white and red carnations. In a little white basket. Mm hmm. Pretty cute. And as the clown handed Marlene the delivery, they pulled out a gun. Yep. Aimed it point blank at Marlene's face. And shot her in the face. Yeah, point blank range. Man. And her son, Joey, heard the shot, and it's, he thought that it was a balloon that popped. But he saw his mother fall to the floor, and he rushed over to the doorway. It had to be a hell of a balloon to pop like a gunshot. Yeah. And Marlene was bleeding heavily from her face. Mm. And... Joey has his friends call for help, and Joey looked up at the clown walking away, and the clown just sort of paused and... Just kind of sashayed down the driveway, didn't he? Yeah, wasn't running, just sort of walking back to the car. Right. And the clown turned to look at him. Yep. And just long enough for Joey to see the big brown eyes staring back at him. That's crazy, man. Yeah, well, you know, think about it. You, somebody knocks on the door and you open and it's a clown. First of all, are you going to be freaked out or are you going to go, what the hell? And then they they got flowers and stuff. So it seemed like what, like a uh, singing telegram or something or, you know, because it's not your birthday or nothing. So 
to go, okay, this is cool. And the next thing you know, you pull up a gun and shoot you right in the face. But just a little bit of background story on Marlene. Her parents had said that from an early, early age, she was fascinated with clowns. Mm-hmm. And she had had paintings she'd done of clowns. So, eh, I don't know. We're going to try to tie all this together in a little bit and find out if there's any connection to any of this. It's pretty wild, though. But uh, the clown just sort of, like you said, sashayed back to the price of the Baron and got in and drove off. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't running. I mean, if I was going to shoot somebody, I'd run. Right. But they didn't. They just casually walked back to the car. Right. No big deal. Yeah. But Joey jumped in his own car with one of his friends and tried to chase down the LeBaron, but it was too late, and the clown got away. Yep. I guess him having a cast on his foot sort of slowed, him down, yeah, slowed yeah. him down a little bit. Now, there was an ambulance that arrived at the home as paramedics worked frantically to try to save Marlene. Yeah. And the bullet had entered just above her upper lip, broke through her front teeth, and traveled to the back of her head where it lodged in the vertebrae. Good Lord. Yeah. And they rushed her to Palms West Hospital where doctors put her on life support. But Marlene never really had a chance, and she died two days later. Wow. Yeah. Now, while all this was happening, Dale, Michael Warren, Marlene's husband, was on his way with some friends to a horse track in Miami. I think they were going to look at a racehorse. Mm Mm-hmm. And... When Joey Aarons called him with the news about Marlene's shooting. Yeah. And he turned around and headed back for the hospital where he told the police he had no idea who could do this to his wife. Crazy. Yeah. And the media jumped all over this terrifying story and it became national news. Well, I guess so. Yep. I mean, damn. How often does this happen, you know? Ah, yeah. I mean, you just don't hear of a clown coming up to your door and shooting somebody in the face. Now, within two hours of the Marlene getting hit in the face with a bullet, a call came into police that would sort of focus the investigation close to home. Hmm. And there was an anonymous female caller that said, you might want to ask Michael Warren and Sheila Keen a few questions. Then they hung up. Wow. And now, you know they're going to look at him anyway because that's just oh, pr- yeah. procedure. But mm, now yeah. they've got a big reason going to wonder why they would uh, call in and tell us this and just hang up. Mm-hmm. No one didn't elaborate at all. Marlene's murder led to an extraordinary and baffling murder investigation that led police through all kinds of areas and throughout Florida. And they were encountering accusations of loan sharking, drug smuggling, drug dealing, insurance fraud, chop shops, stolen cars, Mm -hmm. prostitutes, and seedy affairs, and you name it. Now, Michael Warren, he told police that he didn't know anybody that would own a car like a Chrysler LeBaron convertible that the clown used on the day of the murder. Right. And his car lot only had Chevrolets, that's what he said. Morgan Motors only dealt with Chevrolets? That's what he said. Hmm. But Michael's biggest competitor nearby was a rental place called Payless Rent-A-Car. But they did have Chrysler LeBarons. Hmm. And just 12 hours after Marlene was shot, another anonymous tip came to police. I wonder who's this, who this is calling. Do we... We don't know anything about this, do we? No. Okay. And the caller said that a white Chrysler LeBaron had been stolen from Payless just two weeks earlier in a case that was linked to Bargain Motors. And a couple visiting from out of town had rented a LeBaron from Payless. Hmm. Like I said, this Payless was right next door to Michael's shop. And they were a competitor. And they called a number they found on an ad in a telephone book to get instructions on how to return the car. Right. But they unknowingly called Bargain Motors instead. 
They didn't call Payless. They called Bargain Motors. This was Michael's lot. Yes. And the person who answered the call told the couple to leave the car outside the gate to Payless with the keys and the sun visor. Right. So they did. And later, they had second thoughts about leaving it and returned to Payless, but the LeBaron was gone. Hmm. Now, if you see the ad, you can see why they would call the the, the wrong place because... I think Michael actually got in trouble for that for that ad. Um, it says uh, "bargain auto rentals" across the top, and then it says "pay less." <laughs> yeah, because yeah, that was smart and dumb. Yeah. Now, police discovered that Payless had recently sued, like Dale said, Bargain Motors over the phone book ad. Oh, okay, yeah. As its uh, title, Payless, in smaller letters, were written a bargain auto rentals. And the Payless lawsuit said that Bargain Motors ad was deceptive and Bargain was ordered to pay $35,000. Yep. And a, an employee at Bargain Motors told detectives that Michael Warren stole three cars as payback for the lawsuit. And the LeBaron was one of them. Hmm. Yeah. And the employee said he drove Michael and Sheila to Payless and watched Michael get into the LeBaron and take the keys from the sun visor and drive off. Let's see if that don't make sense to me. I mean, I don't know exactly how close these two places were together. Mm -hmm. But even if you were going to steal the car or take the car, why not have her drive you over there and get the car? Why involve a third party? Exactly. That's just... That's stupid. Yeah. That's somebody that's going to tell on you. Yeah. You know, more more people know more people know you know but anyway go ahead i'm sorry but the day before marlene's funeral the stolen lebaron was found in the win dixie parking lot yep where an employee reported it as abandoned right you know when dixie is a grocery store yeah (laughs) but police did trace the car to payless rent a car right and when they searched the lebaron they found curly orange fibers possibly from a wig on the front passenger seat, back seat, and inside the driver's door. And they also found several strands of long brown hair. Hmm. And they announced they found the killer's clown car. The killer's clown car. Yeah, the killer's clown car. Now, investigators also had leads on the balloons, flowers the killer had brought to Marlene's door, as well as the clown suit, Dale. Okay. Two employees at a Publix grocery store... This was about a half a mile from Sheila Keene's apartment. Said a woman purchased a Memorial Day arrangement of flowers, red and white carnations, in a white basket. Mm. And she also bought two foil balloons. And it was less than 90 minutes before Marlene's murder. So it don't seem like somebody's planning this out too well. No, it don't. Just going to go right here to the store. <laughs> and then the mm. owner of the costume shop in West Palm Beach, Florida, told police that a woman came into the store the Thursday before the shooting to purchase a clown suit. And I've heard that the woman came there after closing time and begged them to open the door so she could come in and buy a clown outfit. Right. But she chose the cheapest one in the shop. And it was a candy pink and yellow suit with an orange wig and red foam nose. And she told them a woman would be wearing the costume and needed extra white paint enough to cover the entire face. Well, duh. Yep. And it said the it cost thirty six dollars and fifty cents, and the woman paid with twenty dollar bills. 
I remember a lot about them. Mm-hmm. Very, very, I guess, I mean, how often does somebody come in after hours and buy a clown up? Well, yeah, they just kind of odd to come in and then say, you know, let me in so I can buy this. Yep. Should have went during the middle of the day and nonchalantly bought something else, but they didn't. But the employees from Publix and the costume shop, they all identified Sheila Keen from a photo lineup as a customer who bought the flowers, balloons, and clown suit. So that's pretty damning right there. After the clown's getaway car was found at the Winn-Dixie grocery store, detectives obtained a search warrant for Sheila Keene's apartment. And they collected shoes, t-shirts, jackets, as well as a hairbrush, a bathroom trash bag, and a full vacuum cleaner bag. They weren't messing around. No. And a police report also showed they found synthetic orange fibers. Hell no. Yeah, looks pretty pretty good starting to build something here yep and sheila refused to cooperate without a lawyer and michael warren also had stopped talking to investigators and hired a lawyer and the next day as marlene was laid to rest investigators watched her funeral from a van and one detective conducted video surveillance while an agent from an organized crime bureau photographed funeral guests with a camera so they wasn't messing around either no paying attention yep now, while investigating Marlene Warren's murder, police discovered illegal activity going on at Michael Warren's lot. Mm-hmm. And that's like we talked about. Police learned that Michael had been overcharging customers on insurance. And like we said, he had also been rolling back odometers on rental cars to cover warranties. Yep. And on used cars so he could charge more money. On October the 25th of 1990, an arrest warrant was issued for Michael Warren and two of his employees, uh, 21-year-old twins named Ronald and Donald Carter. Ronald and Donald. Yep. Now, investigators raided Bargain Motors that night, and they took away filing cabinets with business transactions, and they combed the lot for evidence of stolen vehicles. And they also arrested Ronald Carter at the lot, but his brother wasn't there, and neither was Michael. Hmm. But the next day... He turned himself into the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. And get this, the state charged him with 66 felonies on counts of racketeering, grand theft, conspiring to commit grand theft, operating a chop shop, and dealing in stolen property. Damn. Yeah. No wonder he's making all this money. (laughs) Yeah. And it took years for the case against Michael to wind through the court system. And meanwhile, police received reports that he vacationed in the Bahamas with Sheila Keene, hmm. and that he was possibly scheming about how to disappear. Yeah. It ain't looking good. No, he's not, a, he's not a good dude. In July of 1992, his trial finally got underway, and it took two weeks as prosecutors made the case that Michael was duping customers and insurance companies for financial gain. Yeah, he might could have got away with it just doing the customers, but the insurance companies ain't playing. Mm-mm. I think he's just getting too greedy. Yeah. And, like it. and Michael's lawyer argued that uh, discrepancies in miles on car rental and sales agreements were just the result of sloppy record-keeping. Record yeah, but uh, when they look back at his history, they'll say, we don't think so. Mm-mm. But the jury convicted Michael on one count of racketeering and 21 counts of odometer fraud. Look at there. 11 counts of grand theft and 10 counts of petty theft. And he was sentenced to nine years in prison. Hmm. Now, Michael served out his prison time in South Florida, 
majority in a minimum security work camp in Homestead. This is just south of Miami, where he had a spotless prison record. And after four years, he was released early for good behavior. Right. So he only had to serve four years. Four years of the nine, yeah. And he was uh, paroled on New Year's Eve in 1997. Just in time for a party. Yeah. (laughs) And he walked out of prison into a fresh new life. Right. But now, Dale, while Michael was in prison, the police hadn't forgot about Sheila. And they could not find enough evidence to pin the murder of Marlene on her. They just couldn't have enough evidence. And the case went cold on Marlene. Well, they had a lot of evidence, but they kept saying it was all circumstantial. But, you know, I mean, they had the fibers, the fibers in the car, fibers in her house, you know, and in the hair they had, too. You know, I guess a lot of that was pre-DNA stuff, or it mm-hmm. was really early in the DNA stuff. And then, but, you know, they also found uh, fibers in the soles of those shoes that they found in her house. Yeah. So that would be a little, another thing. You'd think a lot of this would be enough to, to uh, do something, but I guess when they're going to try to get her for... Um, first degree murder or whatever at least something like that you have to have a really good case and a couple fibers ain't going to do it Mm-mm. so I think that's basically all they could find right because the, the, the clown suit and the gun or none of that stuff was ever found yeah you know and there was rumors about them having an affair but both of them always denied it you know and even uh, I think Marlene had even told her mom if anything ever happens to me you better look at Mike because you know she was she thought they were having an affair too and, and uh, you know she knew that he would be just broke if they split up because I think everything was in her name. And he wasn't spending a lot of time at home either. No. You know, and a lot of all the businesses, the house, I think everything was in her name. Yeah. For one reason or another. I'm not sure why, but, but yeah. So, I mean, if they split up, he would be busted. Yeah. You know, so that's another thing. But yeah, I just don't think they ever had enough um, hard evidence to really go forth on uh, an indictment. But I'd heard, too, that, you know, she had all this stuff, all these businesses and stuff, and they said that she'd had a pretty large insurance policy, but I couldn't find anything where it was a very large insurance policy. It was like 50000 53000 Yeah, that's what I heard, too, 53 Yeah. For some, well, I don't know, that's an odd number, but, you know. Yeah, I, but still, then, in, in the 90s, that wouldn't be a life-changing money. No, definitely. So, I don't, I don't think... You know, I don't think it was done solely so he could cash in the life and thing, you know, her life insurance or whatever. I but. think it was the businesses all in her name. Cause, Every, yeah. Because if he had got divorced, I mean, he would have lost it all. Yeah, everything. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, mm-hmm. even by this time, so I don't think she would have cared if he, if he left, but he definitely wasn't getting anything. Yeah. Right. But now, Michael was out of prison, and on August the 15th of 2002, him and Sheila got married right they got married in las vegas nevada mm-hmm. and sheila changed her name she started going by debbie yeah, i don't think she changed it changed it. she just started saying i'm debbie yeah yeah <laughs> yeah pretty much don't but, look at my license but i'm debbie but they were living in eastern tennessee and they opened up a fast food drive-in or drive-through called the purple cow a little burger joint yeah burger joint Subs and burgers and the purple cow. Mm-hmm. And it was on uh, Lee Highway there in eastern Tennessee. Now, Mike and Debbie, who was Sheila, 
they were hard workers for at least a decade and a half they pulled a six-day work week to make burgers and make it successful mm-hmm. and they lived 45 minutes from the purple cow over the state line in abington virginia so they drove 45 minutes to work every day yeah <laughs> and the town is tucked in the blue ridge mountains and it's a little community where the oldest buildings date back to 1779 so they just kind of like slid off to vegas and got married and then came back and then far away from where they live started a business here yeah just, just kind of under the radar kind of thing yeah but there they lived in a massive custom-built mansion with a steep circular driveway concrete fountain and a boat dock out front they must have sold a damn bunch of hamburgers they must have <laughs> and it was in a tight-knit heron point development in this community where neighbors sort of buzz around on golf carts and stop to chat when they see each other it's right just, yeah that kind of neighborhood yeah and there it was described that Mike and Debbie slash Sheila were a warm, quick to laugh, you know, just a happy-go-lucky couple. And they even shared a Facebook page. Oh, Ain't that sweet? Yeah. But nobody, nobody there in the neighborhood knew about their past. And nobody knew that they came from Florida and that Michael had spent time in jail. And that his first wife had been murdered. Nobody knew this stuff. And Debbie was not Debbie. <laughs> no. They had no idea. Right. Well, you know, if somebody's coming in this kind of neighborhood and they buy that big-ass house, you know, like, well, these folks got some money. They don't, you don't really think all this wild background went on, you know? Mm-hmm. One early evening in September of 2017, Michael and Debbie, they were driving home to Abington, Virginia, to visit Debbie's mother in Vermont. And Michael drove their black Cadillac SUV. I think it was an Escalade. Yes, it was a long and winding road, and they were about five minutes from home when the police car pulled him over. Yep. And a deputy walks up to Michael's driver's side window and tells him he has an arrest warrant for Sheila Keen Warren. Well, I think he would go up and ask him to see his driver's license, and then when he seen who he was, he walked around the other side. <laughs> yeah. He'd seen hers, and then uh, they knew he had it right then. Yeah. But it, the reason they, you know, is they were on to him is uh, they got a grant in the— uh, the cold case files to pay for you know stuff so they started going back through all this stuff in florida mm-hmm. and then that's when they started realizing what's going on here because you know hell they, they go back and there's probably now if you look at the evidence with the dna and stuff it's a lot a lot more uh a stronger case than what they had then mm-hmm. all right and uh you know there is no statute of limitations on murder so yeah but they had a warrant for her arrest oh yeah we got you now what put sheila keen behind bars uh, were her hair and blood samples that were collected decades earlier. Oh, yeah. The uh, DNA testing caught up with her. Right. And in 2013, investigators used a, like Dale said, form, uh, a grant to form the cold case to solve this murder of Marlene Warren. And earlier DNA tests had been inconclusive. Which is weird, man. How, how was it? How could they not test the, the, the hair fibers or the hair follicle? Right. And how can it be inconclusive? Yeah. It's usually, you know, DNA is either it is or it isn't, you know. It's yeah. not much. But new tests produced enough evidence for prosecutors to charge Sheila. And But she pled not guilty, and prosecutors announced that they would seek the death penalty against her. So really all they got on her is a couple of hair fibers, right? Yeah. I mean, because there, got... there was no blood at the scene, just Marlene's. And it hadn't been reported if they, what they collected from the... Chrysler of the Marin, if they got uh, fingerprints or anything like that. I think they got some hair, uh, some uh, brown hair. 
mm-hmm. um, some some uh, resources set under the floor mat, which would be weird to me. But you know, I could see some being around. But you would think she'd have her hair put up in the wig, only wouldn't lose a lot of hair. But who knows? She might have jerked a wig off in the car. Yeah. Know. All right, Nadell. Sheila is currently awaiting trial, but her attorney stated that she denies murdering Marlene. Right. And Sheila's attorney filed a motion for an order to postpone Sheila's trial. Right. And her trial was scheduled to start on the 8th of September of 2021. Right. Well, you know, they arrested her in uh, 2017. Yeah. And then that was drag along, and then uh, COVID came in, which would made it that much longer, and they filed to try to get her out on a bond because there was no bond, but that was denied too, so she's just sitting in jail. They even had a hearing that you know, her son came to the hearing and stated that she could live with him. Right. And but they didn't. She was too much of a flight risk. Yeah. She had means to too much money. Right. To be able to get out on bond, but now the court said they needed more time to prepare her case, and they argued that as the murder happened so long ago, it had been difficult to gather all the evidence and take depositions with the prosecution's witnesses. Right. So yeah. you, you know, you think about it, it would it would be hard to find witnesses now. It's been so long. It's been what twenty seven years. To the time she was arrested. Mm-hmm. Especially back then, people coming and going from like Bargain Motors and saying that they saw them together or didn't see them together and mm-hmm. things like that. You know, the only thing that would that would convict her, make it solid, is the DNA. Yeah, putting her in that car and the you know especially the eyewitness testimony of the shop owners from the costume store and the publics right if they can nail those down you know and i think a lot of what postponed it earlier on is you know they were they were dead set on going for the death penalty for this mm-hmm. you know and it'd be hard to give somebody a death penalty over orange fiber mm-hmm. because you know it's kind of hard to, to go that so i don't know but now it might be a lot different you know because now they got the dna but it still doesn't prove she shot her unless they just feel your your hair's there mm-hmm. it wasn't in the house did find it in the car yeah but they'd already said but uh you know the guy from uh, his business said you know he he dropped them off so she, they know they was in the car yeah so they can't say that there's no date stamp on a, when your hair was in the car so, that's true so that's circumstantial too you know yeah it could have been there from anything. Right. So maybe that's the reason they brought it in the third party. <laughs> well, I, I dropped him off. I did see him getting that car. So mm-hmm. sure, your hair will be going to be in it. Yeah. But now Sheila was scheduled to go on trial for first-degree murder on the 21st of March of 2022, this year. Mm-hmm. And she initially faced the possibility of death if a jury found her guilty, but prosecutors told a judge they would not be seeking the death penalty. Hmm. So they just trying to do anything to get a conviction right bring it to trial and you know uh, marlene's son the one that chased her down actually you know his his testimony was that they saw it was a very tall man from six to six foot tall yeah the clown he actually thought it was a man yeah could have been a man we don't know Mm -mm. you know and the other witnesses said they really couldn't tell the gender of the clown they couldn't tell they just thought it was a tall very tall i don't Mm -hmm. think she's six foot two no but i don't know there's a lot of circumstantial stuff going on there. I mean, she probably did it. I mean, I'm, I it, don't know. But. Yeah, it's very possible she did it, but I think it'd be hard to prove. Yeah. Uh, after all these years. And just in um, May 18th this year, 
that was just a couple of weeks ago or a week ago from recording this right they said that uh, the trial had been delayed again for the sixth time and prosecutors agreed to uh, give the defense a little more time to contact witnesses and stuff you know so here it is again now it's been over 30 years now since it happened and uh so it's still still delaying yeah so i don't know i guess they're just trying to put stuff together but it's ho- probably hard to run down people and in uh evidence and i guess they want to make sure they get all their ducks in a row before they take this to trial mm-hmm. to get a conviction yeah and i just wonder how much in how much stuff they had you know like boxed up from before if they had you know tapes or just written written um, stuff or what yeah but what's crazy is sheila has been waiting in jail all this time for a, a trial yeah since 2017 yeah all right and when she and uh, Mike got married and moved to Virginia, she had dyed her hair from brown to blonde. She went blonde. And now you can see pictures of her, you know, going into hearings and things, and her brown hair has grown out, but the ends of it are still blonde. Yeah. That's that's what's crazy, man. Right. So we don't, you know, don't know what's going to happen here, and this is another one. We don't know what's going to happen, but it's a it's a hell of a story. It'll be interesting when uh, all this goes to trial. Yeah, what happens? Most, most definitely. Yeah, but that is the case of Marlene Warren, the murder of Marlene Warren, and right. hopefully justice will be taken care of. Right. So I, I mean, I don't know which way it's going to go because, like I said, it's just uh, pretty strange. I mean, you uh, there there's not a whole lot to go on here. It looks like Sheila King, but we don't know. Right. But Mike is uh, hadn't been charged with anything in connection to Marlene's murder. No, he's still living in the house in Virginia, I believe. Yes. Living it up. Mm-hmm. Sorry, honey. <laughs> Turning back odometers. Yeah. Clowning around. All right, Dale. We are going to get out of here. All right, man. Let's do it. We want everyone to be safe, be careful, and always be aware of your surroundings and look out for clowns. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the Crack, Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles.